readings, there's going to be a response. And the response will be for the gift of the word of life. And I'd like you to respond, thanks be to God. So the two readings this morning are from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 7 to 15. And that will be followed by Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. So beginning with 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. And now Mark 12, beginning at verse 41. The widow's offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of all of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. For the gift of the word of life. Thanks be to God. Together. Heavenly Father, as we come now to consider your word of life, Lord, we pray that you would calm our hearts, that we might focus on your voice. May we hear you speaking to us, and may we be ready to respond as you call. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, I wonder what went through your mind the first time you heard we were having a series on giving. (laughs) Did you hear the footsteps coming up behind you and did you fear the tap on the shoulder? Or perhaps, as you thought about it, you thought about the person standing in the high street with the offering box, desperately trying to catch your eye as you desperately try to avoid theirs. Or perhaps you think of somebody who's going to lecture you on, on the art of tithing. Well, if any of those are your vision, or maybe even your nightmare, Paul wants to give us a totally different vision this morning. I think if Paul were to describe it in an illustration, the illustration would be that Interflora are knocking on your door. And they're knocking there with a big bunch of flowers saying, I've got a gift for you, will you accept them? Keep flowers in your mind. My dad was a a GP, and in the days, years and years and years ago, when it was safe to take children and leave them in parked cars, he used to take me when he was visiting some of his patients doing house calls. And uh, he would leave me in the car, he'd lock me in, and he'd go off and do his house call, and then he'd come back and we'd go on to the next one. And that was quite a normal occurrence until one day, about ten minutes after my dad had gone into this house... An ambulance came screaming down the road, bells and whistles all blaring and sounding, came to a juddering halt just behind my car, and the two ambulance operatives leapt out and went into the house where my dad was. Well, what had happened was that the patient that my dad had gone to see, who was a middle-aged lady, was actually in the middle of having a very serious heart attack. Her heart had stopped beating, and she'd stopped breathing. And while her husband phoned for the ambulance, my father administered CPR and kept her alive. About a week later, oh, she made a full recovery, by the way, that's that's the good news, otherwise the story would have had no ending here. About a week later, at the surgery, the biggest bouquet of flowers you have ever seen arrived. It was an expression of thanks from somebody who had unspeakable gratitude for the medical intervention that day that saved their life. Now, why do I tell you that story? It's because to us it seems such a natural thing to do. It's not hard for us to think that this was some overflow of generosity from somebody who was bursting out with thankfulness. It wasn't done under obligation. It wasn't done because the law commanded it to be done. It wasn't done because it was a fee that was payable to the doctor for his services. It was because here was somebody with an overwhelming, compulsive, unstoppable expression of thankfulness. And that's the sort of giving that Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 8. In verse 8, he makes it quite clear. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love. There's no obligation to give, but giving is a natural expression of love. Last week, if you were here, Peter so wonderfully shared with us from the earlier passage in 2 Corinthians 8 how Jesus became poor that we might become rich. And here, Paul wants to fan into flames that thought with the Corinthian church. He wants to fan into flames their gratitude and their thankfulness and their love for God. He'd reminded them that just further up the coast 
the churches in Macedonia, maybe Thessalonica and Philippi and others, they had been pleading with Paul to participate in the grace of giving. Paul says it's like, if you remember your chemistry lessons at school, the litmus test, it's like a litmus test of love to prove whether your love is genuine or not. And Corinth, he says, were the first church to pledge support for the churches, uh, for the people in the church in Rome who were going through such a terrible time. They were the first to say, we want to give. And they were actually the first to give. And Paul helped them in that. In 1 Corinthians 16, he helps them by telling them how to give. He says, on the first day of the week, set aside a sum of money in coming with, in, in keeping with your income. So they probably started doing that as they gave, but something had happened to stop it. They were no longer fulfilling their promise. And here is a problem. Emotional responses to things don't always translate into action. What happened to your New Year resolutions? Sometimes good intentions don't don't fulfill and become reality. And when we read the context of the letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth, both this one and the previous one, we realize that the relationship between Paul and the church is a challenging one. Paul has been challenging them about a number of things that they've been doing and a number of issues. And maybe this had created some kind of barrier. Maybe they'd withdrawn a bit. You see, giving can be actively offered, but giving can be actively withheld. It can become conditional. If I don't get what I want, I'm not giving. Ever heard anybody say that? I have. And it's not something that is that uncommon. And what it does is it breeds a distrust and a suspicion. And it's something that has no place in the unity of God's people. And maybe that had crept in there. But Paul says in verse 11 that the essential ingredient in their giving is that it needs to have eager willingness. Eager willingness matched by determination to see it through. Complete what you've started, he says. So he's saying stewardship is not so much about your wallet as being about your heart. Eager willingness. And in verse 12 he says that the willingness is what makes that gift acceptable. He says, for the willing, if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. And notice Paul says that giving is out of what we have. Now, he's making a theological point here. It's not perhaps obvious when you first read it. But he is saying we give out of what we have received not out of what we have left over. Not out of what's left in the account once we've spent our money on all the things that we desire to spend our money on. Now, Paul doesn't mention tithing here. He doesn't mention a tenth as a standard of giving. But what he says is, give a proportion of your income as a deliberate and specific act an act which overcomes that voice in your head which will say, I can't afford it. Belinda and I learned this lesson when uh, we were about to have our first child and Belinda gave up work for maternity leave and that halved our income. 
That would have been bad enough for our financial situation, were it not for the fact that she was working for a building society and we had a staff mortgage at a third of the going rate. And in those days, back in black and white television time almost, going rate mortgages were about 15%. So we halved our income and tripled our mortgage in one month. And it won't surprise you to know that ends wouldn't meet. So we had to cut back. So what do we cut back on? Well, if our yardstick was affordability, then giving was one of those things that had to go. But we were challenged as we thought about this. What is our yardstick? What do we measure our giving by? Do we measure it by our ability to afford it? Or do we measure our giving by God's promises to us? What if we believe his promise in 1 Samuel chapter 2 when he says, those who honour me, I will honour? And so we were convicted that the right thing to do was to keep our giving in the same proportion as we'd been given previously. It was sacrificial, but God provided for us. And I shared that story with a friend of mine who'd got into really big financial problems. These were the days before... Uh, Christians Against Poverty existed and he asked me for some help and I sat down with him and I looked at his books and when I looked it seemed to me that his interest payments were almost as big as his income. He was in big trouble. So I suggested we sit down and do a budget and the first item that I put on the budget sheet was giving. So I said to him well how much do you give to the church? And he nearly fell off his chair laughing. (laughs) Give to the church he said. I've got debt collectors almost at the door. Where would I find any money to give to the church? And he had a point. Depending on your yardstick, he had a point. But we then discussed and talked through what God taught teachers about giving and honouring. And over quite a period of time that evening, he came to the decision that he wanted to put giving at the top of his list of expenditure. And as he did that, he decided he'd put 10%. He asked me how much. I said, start with 10%. Within a couple of months, his job situation had totally changed. And with that, his income situation totally changed. And with that, not only was he able to afford what he had pledged to give to the church, but he was able to come to an arrangement with his creditors, and he was able to fulfill the budget we had put there. And when I saw him, I said to him, do you remember what we talked about? Those who honour me, I will honour. And he smiled. The penny had finally dropped, if you excuse the pun. He got it. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about not giving out a compulsion, but an eager and willing heart, which says, Lord, I want to respond to your love. And I want to give out of what you have given me, not out of what I've left over. And I want to do it in a thoughtful and a planned way, not out of duty, but out of love. So that's Paul's first point. His second point is, in verse 13, he moves on to introduce the idea of fair shares or equality. He says this, Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need 
the goal is equality. So those who have will share with those who have not, not as a loan to be repaid, but on a principle that as you bless others, in turn you will be blessed. Now that's the basis, actually, that our diocese operates its parish share. Those churches that are able to give, give, and those churches that need to receive, receive. That's the principle of our church's mission support. We give 10% of all our income to missions, missions where resources are scarce, so we share our plenty with their scarcity. But it's more than just equaling everything out. There's something much deeper here because giving releases spiritual blessing. Giving releases spiritual blessing. I have never heard anybody say, I gave too much. And the reason is because when you give, you find that you receive back, and often in greater proportion than when you gave. And to illustrate this, Paul takes this little section from, uh, from Exodus where the children of Israel are provided with manna by God. And he says this, The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Some people, some of the children of Israel, tried to gather a huge amount of manna so that they'd have plenty for the next day, but it didn't last. And some of them weren't able, through infirmity or childcare or whatever, to get out and collect enough, but they didn't go without. And so the Corinthian church are encouraged to share in their prosperity with those who are in need. And in return, they will be blessed. Giving releases spiritual blessing. This week, some of us will be praying sacrificially, won't we? Just behind me. Some in the middle of the night. Some will be praying, some will not. This morning, some have been giving, some have not. But I wonder who next Sunday do you think will have the testimony of receiving God's blessing? Those who saw this week as an opportunity for blessing or those who saw it as something a bit inconvenient. God isn't commanding us, but God is inviting us, inviting us to participate, inviting us to share in the blessings he wants to give to us. Stewardship is not simply about us giving to somebody else's need. It's about our needing to give. And our needing to give is much greater than somebody else's need to receive. Giving is an invitation to invest in God's economy and to receive his blessing, to get caught up in his gracious flow of giving. I don't know if you've ever been water rafting. I have, and it's a hair-raising experience. But you've got two options. You can stay on the side where the water is still and you can paddle like mad and you don't get anywhere. Or you can navigate yourself out into the white water right in the middle of the river. And you can be taken along with that. And it's a thrilling and exhilarating ride. And all you have to do is navigate and try and keep on board. You know, there is blessings that God wants to pour out on us. If only we will move ourselves into that mainstream, that main current, and get caught up with the flow of his blessing.
Perhaps I can use another water illustration. Perhaps in your mind you can picture a map of Israel. And there are two bodies of water there. There's the Sea of Galilee in the north and there's the Dead Sea in the south. And the Sea of Galilee is fed by the headwaters of the Jordan coming down from the Golan Heights. And it's teeming with life and fish and birds and plants. It's a beautiful place. The water flows in and the water flows out. And it flows out into the River Jordan and down the River Jordan to the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is just that. It's dead. Why? Because the water flows in, but it doesn't flow out. It stagnates. No fish, no birds, no vegetation, no life. And that's a picture of what happens to us if we don't give, if we don't let what we've received flow out, we stagnate, we die, we shrivel up. We do not experience the love and the overflowing bounty of God's blessing in our lives. Freely we've received, freely we must give. So here then, Paul is showing us that we must not only give eagerly and willingly, but he's shown us that it's about sharing It's about equality, but it's about unlocking God's blessing in our life. Well, finally, what does God want from us? Stewardship is a challenge not because it asks hard questions about how how much we give, but it asks harder questions about how much we keep and how we use it. Our reading from Mark chapter 12, Jesus was standing by the temple treasury And that woman came and gave two small coins into the temple treasury. And he contrasts it with the vast amounts of money that rich people were bringing. And after they contributed their hoards of money, they went home and they had hoards left. But she had nothing. Jesus says, that's what counts. His economy doesn't just look at what we give. His economy looks at what we keep back. He wants us to give everything to him. He wants us to put everything at his disposal, to give in every area of our life. Now, as we've been talking this morning, I guess your mind has been thinking in terms of money, giving money. But God calls us to do more than that. God calls us to give to give the other resources he's given us. He's given us the resource of time. How do we use our time? That's a currency that we we can squander. We can use it to fulfill our own needs, or we can offer our time to God. It was time that Jesus was talking about in the Garden of Gethsemane when he came to his disciples and he said, could you not watch with me one hour? Of all the nights... In all history, what a night for the disciples just to fall asleep. Perhaps God is making that call to us today about our time. Will you not watch with me one hour? This week, will you not pray with me one hour? Will we not give our time to God sacrificially? And it's more than just our time, it's also our talents. God has given us skills and gifts, spiritual gifts, training and skills will we offer those to him and say lord as you have equipped me i want to use that equipping to give to you not because you must but because you're open to god's call it could be a big thing it could be a small thing if you have a gift of hospitality 
could you serve coffee? If you have a musical gift, could you share in our worship group? If you have a gift with children, could you help with our children's work? If you have financial training, could you help with our finance team? If you've got a gift of encouragement, could you get alongside those who need? Can you use the time and the talents that God has given you for his glory? God wants us to be eager and willing givers of the resources that he's given to us, not out of obligation, but out of love and thankfulness. Givers who unlock the blessing of God in their lives and givers who are blessed in the name of Jesus by their giving. Now, this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody who you may not know. I want to introduce you to Bryony, and Bryony has only recently moved here from uh, Oxfordshire just before Christmas, and she's only been coming to Christchurch for a few weeks. By profession, Bryony is a GP, but she, hasn't, she doesn't practice in the UK anymore since she has heard the call of God. And on Wednesday, she will be travelling to Africa to fulfil that calling. So I'm going to ask Bryony to come up. She's really nervous, so be very kind to her. <laughs> and uh, Bryony, not only, in my opinion, represents... Come stand by me here. Represents somebody who has heard God's call in giving of her time and her talents. But also, this month, we're praying for those in healthcare, and that's exactly what... Brian is involved in. And as she goes for several months to Africa, I want you to know who she is so that we can pray for her as well.